You're listening to a leadership message from Pastor Jurgen Matesius here at Awaken Church. To find out more about us, go to awakenchurch.com. Corinthians chapter 4. How many people know that coaches instruct? The, the job of a coach is to instruct. Right now they're playing the Farmers Insurance Open here in Torrey Pines. Tiger Woods, I think, has won it like four or five times. And uh, Tiger Woods, believe it or not, one of the best golfers in the world, has a, swim, uh, has a swing coach. You would think that he'd be coaching other people on how to swing, and yet he has a swing coach because there's just, just some things you can't see that you're doing. And so he has a swing coach that's helping him with the, the plane, the, the face, the openness, you know, his posture, pulling from the hip, all of that kind of stuff. So he has a swing coach. Now, if Tiger and the swing coach played a game of golf, Tiger would win every time. And yet he's smart enough to realize that, that I need somebody to see what I can't see. So coaches, coaches provide great feedback and great instruction. And, and it's not a bad thing. It's a really good thing. And we've seen the elevation of, of, you know, coaches and coaching in the culture. But the Apostle Paul here writes about something even more powerful in verse 15. He says, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do, you, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. This morning, I want to just talk about some, some leadership lessons that, that, uh, that I, I didn't learn in a classroom, that I didn't learn when I went to Bible college, but I learned through, through observations and through encounters with my spiritual father, Phil Pringle, um, and that, that I've been able to imitate in him to make it true in my life. And I absolutely believe that we need coaches that instruct, but even more than that, we need fathers who impart. We need coaches who instruct, but we need fathers who impart. 91% of prison inmates father absent household. Almost all suicides amongst men, no daddy in the picture. Violent crime, rape, no daddy in the picture. There's something that happens to the house. There's something that happens when fathers are removed from the picture. The enemy goes after the father. The father is the strength of the house. And so, well, a, a coach can instruct a father in part. So let me just give you, give you a, a, a few quick ones. In fact, I've got seven here. Uh, little life lessons that I've learned that has really shaped who we are, why we are, and it might help you to understand why we do some of the stuff that we do. Uh, the, the first one, the first one is we we move from we move from New Zealand back to Sydney in 1998, and uh, and again God was was very very uh, wonderful, but being very difficult. I just sometimes wish that God would make things easy, but I found that the easy path is the path that you don't find God because you don't need him, so he doesn't bother standing on the easy path. And so you'll always have two paths, the easy path, and God's like, knock yourself out, but I'll be on this one. And, uh, you know, and so after seven years in New Zealand, we have an opportunity funded to stay in New Zealand, go to one of the biggest churches in New Zealand and serve on the staff there. 
Uh, or there was another opportunity to be part of the Hillsong family and plant a church in the city where Leanne and I grew up, which we just knew that wasn't the right time or the season for our lives, not just the fact that I had made such a mess that I didn't think that anybody would believe that I was saved in my home city. So those two things were going. The third option was to go to Phil Pringles, but there was no salary, there was no job, there was no position. And sure enough, which one does God land on? He lands on that one. So I've got a wife and two little ones. And uh, we go to sell everything. And God says, you need to sell both your cars. You to give one away to this other couple who have only got one car, but they're pretty much the lion's share of the pastoral care of the church. Give them, a, give them that car. Eat. And so it was, so we, I had no idea that I'm giving away a car, complaining about it to find out four months later that when I get to Sydney, that um, we, get si uh, we, get, uh, we get the job to be the youth pastor after four months of serving. And then Phil Pringle says, oh yeah, and by the way, um, I'm not sure if you got a car, but the job comes with a car. So I gave away a bomby Honda Civic and end up with a brand new Ford Fairlane. And so it was, God, God is good, but you know, you got to pass the test. So in New Zealand, in New Zealand, the, the, the leadership had a very, very different mentality. And I remember, um, you know, we had a lot of fun in church, which I've managed to steal and keep. And uh, not always holy fun, but fun. And, uh, and on this particular night, I was worship leading, and I had brand new linen pants and a brand new linen shirt and a linen vest and leather shoes. And, and my wife, Leanne, had spent her Christmas money to buy me 80, an $80 pair of leather shoes. And I'd never spent $80 on a pair of shoes ever. And so they were the like prize position. I was so pumped to be worship leading. And then Sunday nights were quite a raucous in South Auckland, bro. And, uh, and so someone, someone yelled out, oh, stage dive pastor. So I thought, why not? Went in, went in Rome, went in Manukau. So I stage dive off and we're, you know, singing the stone's been rolled away or something. And uh, the next minute, not only was the stone rolled away, but I was rolled away right across the crowd to where the baptism tank was. And all I see is my senior pastor going, in the tank, in the tank, in the tank. So they managed to wrestle the microphone. So I thought if I can hang on to the microphone, they won't want to ruin a microphone, hundreds of dollars, but they wrestled the microphone away and I went into the tank. Well, as you can imagine, the, the brown leather shoes were ruined. The linen, everything was ruined. That was like, you know, my Christmas present. So staff meeting on Tuesday, I said, oh, well, you know, you guys, funny, ha-ha, <laughs> very funny. Yep, ha-ha, I got wet, ha-ha, <laughs> very funny. But you guys have to repay. Now, that's just the price you pay for ministry. Fast forward, fast forward. We're now in, we're now in Sydney. And Leanne and I had no idea just the toll of, of seven years of pioneering and some of the challenges that it had taken on, on us. And the, the, the mindset in New Zealand was that we will build the church with or without God. We will build the church through hard work and labor. And if the church isn't growing, it's because people aren't working hard enough or long enough. And so I was out six nights a week, every week. And uh, so there was, there was tension because uh, Leanne married a husband thinking she was getting a husband. I was marrying a wife thinking I was getting a wife. And as Dr. Matt always says, the word wife is an acronym for washing, ironing, food and entertainment. 
In fact, I can't... Between, between you and me, I can't believe how he gets away with it. I can't... I don't, you've heard him, Samuel, haven't you? You've heard of Dr. Alec. I can't believe he gets away with that. Washing, ironing, food and entertainment, the acronym for wine. <laughs> and we've all heard of the word hangry, hangry. And when, uh, when our needs are not getting met, we become very, very hangry. And so when you're hangry, you, you become snappy and bitter. And so we were always fighting. So at, at Phil Pringle's church, they had uh, two morning services, an 8.30 and a 10. Then they had a 6 p.m. And then they had an 8 p.m. soaker service. It went from 8 till 9. We were so, so broken that we would, we would go to the 6 p.m. And then we'd have our uh, beautiful young lady who'd volunteer to be our nanny. She would drive our kids to McDonald's and take them home and get them change and put them to bed and and we would stay for the 8 p.m and the first 30 minutes from 8 to 8 30 was just worship we would just be down the front just worshiping and then from 8 30 to 9 there was no preaching no offering nothing it was it was just ministry and they'd be like laying on our hands and uh impartation prophetic and we were just like drinking it lapping it up well this one sunday we come back to our seat it's just after nine and uh and Leanne's like, oh my gosh, where's my long winter coat? And somebody had taken it. And so we thought, well, maybe someone took it by mistake. And we kept checking in the lost property. And But two weeks later, it was obvious that somebody had been going through people's handbags and stealing purses, and they stole Leanne's coat. So we're walking out of church on a Sunday morning, and Pastor Phil's PA says, oh, hey, Pastor Phil wants to see you in his office. And I'm like, oh, crap, what have I broken? And uh, oh, because the only time I had to see the boss usually was I was in trouble. And uh, it goes all the way back to high school whenever the principal is because I was in trouble. So I'm just like, oh, Flip, what have I done? And uh, so anyway, so we're in Phil's office. And he goes, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, girl, yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's Leanne. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And uh, <laughs> girl, yeah, I heard you, uh, heard you lost your coat. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's okay, Pastor Phil. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to give you this. And so he gave Leanne a piece of paper that was kind of, you know, folded in half. And so, so we don't know. What, so she's like, oh, thank you. And she puts it in a handbag. And he's like, no, no, yeah, yeah. You may want to have a look at that. She's like, oh, no, it's okay. I'll do it at home. No, no, no. I want you to have a look at it. And so, okay. so she pulls it out. And uh, I think I bought that coat for your maybe at Glassons in New Zealand. And I think it was like a $120 coat. And so we open it up. And it's a check for $1,000. And, and Leanne straight away, like, Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil, oh, no, 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 you know, it, it's only $120 coat. Yeah, yeah, you know, get yourself a few. And, uh, <laughs> so it may sound like a, a little thing to you, but the contrast of someone that genuinely loved, genuinely cared, people get their stuff stolen all the time. But he was, he was a pastor who was an incredible leader, who was preaching all over the world, who was wanted all over the world, but cared enough to look after someone that he knew were in, in the throes of struggle and repair on his team, that he went to incredible benevolence and generosity. And so that was one of the most impacting things. And that's why we are, even though we've changed our logo to Awaken, we are still a C3 
global church. We're not leaving this family. They're going to have a very hard time ever getting rid of us. I'm the what about Bob of the C3. <laughs> you guys eating in there? And uh, so that's us. <clears throat> the second, second thing that, that, that I learned from, from uh, my spiritual father was flow versus force. Flow versus force. At the 8 p.m. service, I remember I did their, their youth camp. And when you're a youth preacher, you, you have a few home run messages. You have some messages that you've preached around the place and they're honed, they're sharp, they, you know, they, they win anywhere. You can take them into any context and they're going to be winners. And so, so I preach these messages. And so the kids came home and Pastor Phil's son came home saying, oh, you know, best preacher, best messages I've ever heard. So Pastor Phil says, oh, listen, I want you to stay. I want you to do the 6 p.m. service. And funny enough, I had another home run message just in the tank. He goes, and then I'd love you to do the 8 p.m. service. And I said, oh, okay. What do you want me to preach on at the 8? Is it the same message? Oh, no, there's no message. He goes, I just want you to get up there and just, you know, just move with the Holy Ghost. Just whatever the Holy Ghost does, you know, just flow with him. Whether it's prophecy, ministry, you know, whatever. Impartation, healing, words of knowledge, even the gifts. And I remember just this cold shudder went through me because we would, we would schedule a move of God. Whether God was going to show up or not was irrelevant. We're having a move of God with or without you. And, um, and so everything was kind of, there was, there was just this, we didn't, I didn't know, we didn't know how to flow. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, so I'm there trying to think of a few bland words of knowledge that could really relate to anybody. If you're here and you've got two legs, yep, come forward. If you're here and you've ever had a negative thought, okay, you know. So I'm trying to, you know, and I'm, you know, on the front. So, so they have the worship and it's packed. There's like 350, 400 people on the altar, and then Phil hands me and goes, yeah, yeah, just go, you know, prophesy. And I'm, <laughs> and everyone's like, you know, looking for a prophecy. And I'm like, because I didn't know how to flow, because everything we'd done up till now was manufacture and force. And so Phil could see me struggling. So the mask had come off. The, the, the great preacher, the dynamic preacher who, had, who could hone and preach any message, he could see I was really struggling with flowing with the Holy Ghost. And so he got, you know, Greg French and some of the other pastors who came and they're praying and bodies going down everywhere. And I'm trying to, not really, but it was like, it was just like, it was just like so embarrassing. So I'm like driving home going, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be invited back again. But it was, it was just so, so beautiful. And then I would watch the way that Phil would get up and he'd, land on a point you could feel something shift in the atmosphere and then he'd depart from his notes he'd depart from his preach and go and minister in that and people would be healed and people would be set free and I began to realize that that God is building his church that I don't need to try and build it you know for him that I don't need to build it independent of him that he is building his church and the greatest thing I can do is is ask where he is going where he is moving and learn to flow with him the third one that I realize Paul says here, imitate me as I imitate Christ, is that leadership is always example. Leadership is example. For the apostle Paul to say, imitate me, imitate me, means that, that leadership is example. I know that, you know, uh, John Maxwell says, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And maybe in the world, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. But in the kingdom, leadership is example. People don't do what you say, they do what you do. 
And so we've found that, that one of the most powerful things is for, for us to model. If Leanne and I don't model what it is to, to build a great marriage, to, to, to have a great family, and that always comes at a price. And the price is you've got to learn how to pray. And, you know, we can pray for other things. We're going to pray for, you know, upcoming conference. We're going to pray for weekend services, and we can pray. And there's no real skin in the game. We can pray for them. We can call out scripture. But when it's, when it's your child, when it's a negative diagnosis from the hospital or where the enemy has, has crept in in the night and is trying to take one of their lives, all of a sudden you realize, I've got some skin in the game. Oh, shoot. How much do I believe the word of God? How much, how much you know, and it's very easy to go through the semantics on a platform of prayer. There's, you know, cadences and rhythms of of prayer, and uh, we, in the name of Jesus, and you sound wonderful, but when it's your kid, when it's your child, when it's your family, when it's your finances, when it's your eviction, when you know you need God to break through, that's when the rubber hits the road. And so we began to we began to realize very early on from Pastor Phil that that what you saw on the platform is what you saw behind, and that 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 Phil and and Chris were were the real deal. I remember at the very, very first Vision Builders that we went to. And at the Vision Builders, you know, they were, they were wanting to finish the, the youth auditorium and the college. And it, it, was a, it was a multi-million, I think it was like a 20-something million dollar project. And so my thought, my thinking was that his job as the pastor is to, you know, encourage the people to give. And when Pastor Phil got up, he said, you know, Chris and I have been talking and we're going to give $250,000 over the next couple of years to this project because we and so that's our pledge and so then Chris would tell us that he would stay up all night not go to bed stay up all night doing his paintings so that when he traveled he could take those paintings and sell them to pay off his vision builders I'd never seen a, pa a pastor commit a quarter of a million dollars to the building project. And then what I saw was I didn't see a man who could motivate the people. I saw a man who was out the front leading the people, leading by example, because you, you can't expect your congregation to be generous if you're not generous. You can't expect your congregation to walk in faith if you don't walk in faith. Jesus said, a servant is not above the master, nor is a student above the teacher. It is enough that the, the, the student becomes like the teacher or the servant becomes like the master. There are a lot of churches that will teach the law of reciprocity, that God will bless you as you, the world of the generous, and they're stingy, miserly people, and they think they, they, they almost scratch their heads. They can't figure out why they can't get breakthrough. Well, it's because you can teach something, but until you live it, you have no authority to release change in your people. So that was an expensive lesson to learn that Leanne and I realize that we, if we want to lead, we have to go first. We have to go first. All leadership is example. Number four, the power of prayer and fasting. The power of prayer and fasting. You know, I, I thought that, you know, prayer and fasting really was, uh, you know, for people that kind of wanted to let it slip, that they were praying and fasting, but don't tell anyone, I don't want to lose my reward, but that's how spiritual I am. And, uh, you know, it's like a, you know, like you're holy. Oh, let me just up it. Yeah, you know, right now I'm praying and fasting. Oh, oh no, I've said too much. I haven't said it all. That's, anyway. And so we, we, 
we would get onto Pastor Phil's uh, calendar about every three or four months to have a meal, to have lunch after church or, or something. And it just so happened to fall that, that after three or four months, you know, looking forward to, oh my gosh, we're going to have lunch with Pastor Phil and Chris. We go to the most magnificent cafe in DY, but Phil and Chris are fasting. They're doing liquid only. And so here, here we're gorging ourselves in this beautiful restaurant and they're fasting. And the reason they're fasting is because Mama Chris, her sister, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so I'm eating while they're fasting, doing liquid only, thinking yeah, it's pretty much game over when it's a brain tumor that's inoperable. But they did a 30-day fast. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, God bless you. That's pretty awesome. But the doctors have said inoperable, and it's a brain tumor the size of a baseball. Only to find that at the end of the 30 days, they had so shifted something in the spirit that she was completely healed. I'd never seen, I'd never seen, I'd never seen the, the connection between, between a man on earth and the great God in heaven and his power and the way that we've been given the keys of the kingdom, that we can unlock flows of God, supernatural flows of God, that when the doctors are say, saying it's terminal, it's over, that, that, that God has positioned us that he's given us such elevation and such platform that we can go into prayer and fasting and shift something in the spirit so we began to see that there was a power in praying and fasting that we wanted to bring into our lives and into our church and it's on a regular basis where Leanne and I have hit walls or hit ceilings or hit crises or hit moments where just prayer didn't seem to be shifting. Prayer didn't seem to be getting it across the line. We know that we can reach back because we saw from our spiritual father an incredibly powerful tool that we're going to fast. When Daniel fasted, something shifted in the spirit realm. The angel said to him, Daniel, oh greatly beloved, on the very first day, you humbled yourself to pray. Your words were heard in heaven, and I was sent on behalf of your words. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. In other words, God heard your prayer the day you prayed it. God even sent the answer straight away. But you wouldn't have seen any answer. You would have probably said, well, I guess God didn't answer that. Well, I guess sometimes God says no. He says because the, a demon spirit, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, was withstanding me, was blocking me for 21 days. But Daniel highly favored because you didn't just pray, but you added fasting. Michael, that great prince, the great protector of your people, he was also sent. And he did battle with the prince of Persia so that now, Daniel, I was able to break through and come to you. There are some things Jesus even said, this kind of demonic force does not shift except by prayer and fasting. There are some things that don't shift. And so we know that when I'm praying, if nothing moves, and I know that I'm praying according to the will of God, there's some demonic interference. There's a principality or a power. There's something withstanding. But you know what? I don't have to say, well, you know, I did my best. I can actually deploy fasting. I can begin to fast and, and shift that demonic force, the power of prayer and fasting we learn from our, our spiritual mom and dad. Number five is honor. 
Number five is honor. The culture of the kingdom of heaven is honor. The culture of the kingdom of heaven, everything in heaven is honor. The father honors the son. The son honors the father. They honor the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit honors them. Honor is always moving. It never seems to land. Jesus honors the father and the father says, well, I've honored the son. And then they, it's like it's always moving. It's, there's honor in the kingdom. There's this beautiful flow of honor. We are never more like heaven than when we honor. And we are never more like the devil than when we dishonor. Has God really said, God knows, you won't surely die. God knows the day you, you just like, the devil is, is the great dishonorer. So, so we have a culture of honor. I learned this one because one of the, the, the pastor of the biggest church in the world, Dr. Cho, had come to Australia in the late 80s and he came to a denomination that wanted him to come out and speak and they thought it was, they, they thought he'd be really impressed with them showing him how they saved money by flying him in the cheapest coach seats. And because he'd had a, a, a bladder infection and the Korean culture is very, uh, it's a very honoring culture. He didn't want to disturb the people on either side who were asleep on the all-night flight from Seoul, Korea to Sydney. And so he tried to hold it and then ended up soiling himself. So he gets off with shame. He gets off embarrassed. Then they whisk him to not a hotel but to a hostel where they say, yeah, look how much money we've saved. We've, we've put you in a hostel. You must be really impressed. Oh, we got it for just a few dollars a night in a hostel. And they, they worked him like a dog. So he made a vow that he would never come back to Australia. He would never go back to Australia. He felt so dishonored, the gift on his life, what he had built, the, the demands on his time. Church of 800,000 members, the largest church in the world. They have a prayer meeting that goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, between 3 and 4 a.m., the lowest is there's probably about, you know, between six and 8,000 people on Prayer Mountain. At that, from there, I think it's like every 16 seconds, a new church or a new ministry is, is planted because they've so broken a hole. They've so pierced the atmosphere through prayer. And so he's like, I'm never coming back to Australia. So Pastor Phil had for three or four years tried to get Dr. Cho to come to Australia. And always a very polite response. Oh, thank you for the invitation, but no, thank you. And so Pastor Phil knew what he needed to do. So he called Cho's secretary and made an appointment. And the appointment was like five and a half months into the future. And he had between 7.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. He didn't tell him that he didn't live in Seoul, Korea. So he just flew from Sydney to Seoul the night before. And then got there and he knows that Cho's always early. So he decided I'm going to be there at 7.20. Only to find that Cho was there at 7.15. And he says as he walked in, Cho's sitting there. He says, oh, Pasafio. Oh, you're very cheeky. I, I read up about you. You have church in Sydney. You're not from Seoul, Korea. And Pasafio says, oh, no, no. Oh, why you want to meet? And he said, you know, I want you to come. Oh, Pasafio feel so honored but I just too busy and feels like I haven't given you a date and then Phil does the same thing again says here this is for you and Cho opens it up and it's a check for $10,000 and he says 
um, Dr. Cho, I just want you to know that whether you come or not, I want to honor you, the impact that you've had on my life, the leader that you have. I just want to honor you. He says, Cho looked at him and said, Bible, not Western Bible. Bible is Eastern Bible. Bible was not written in the West, was written in the East. In the East, we understand honor. In the West, you don't understand honor. He said, I thought there was no honor in Australia. He said, but I will come. I will come. So he came and he did three nights. It was the most incredible move of God, the most incredible impartation. But I watched the way that Pastor Phil honored him, flew him first class, hired the, the, the two penthouse suites in the Shangri-La, put Cho in one and put the entourage in the other one, had them driven everywhere by limo. He knows that Cho loves to play golf. So during the day, he didn't preach at the conference. During the day, he played at the Royal Sydney, which is a private course. It's about $400 a, a round. He played golf all day and then ministered at night. And then Phil gave him an incredibly generous honorarium. And Cho just began to weep in the limo and said, you will be on my board. You will be my son. You will preach for me once a year. The power of, I'd never seen anything like that modeled. But I knew that that was something that God was showing me. Sometimes you have these fly on the wall moments. I've got two more left, but I'm out of time. Do you want them or no? Okay. Number six is probably the funniest one, but it's, 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 it's served me so well. It's called the three things. The three things. How many people here you live with you? Okay, the rest of you. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a wonderful saying that Leanne has been saying lately. I'm not sure who the, the author is of the quote, but I've seen the enemy and he is me. I've seen the enemy and he is me. I'm not too worried about what the devil can do. I'm worried about what I can do to sabotage. And so as a young guy, being well aware of my weaknesses, my insecurities, uh, my dispositions, you know, the, the, the different areas of temptation in my life, and then seeing what I thought was incredible, holy men of God, you know, who fell ran off with the secretary, you know, spent money that wasn't theirs, you know, did something stupid. And it had always kind of plagued me, you know, that, that I was living with this, man, I've still got areas where I feel vulnerable and feel weak and oh my gosh, and tempted and everything. So Pastor Phil was going snowboarding with his son and his son had to pull out at the last minute. And so Di Payne, Phil's secretary says, hey, um, do you want to go snowboarding for three days with Pastor Phil? one-on-one -on -one with Pastor Phil and snowboarding. Are you kidding me? Hell yeah. And so, <laughs> so we end up down there in Threadbow. And uh, the first night we're having dinner. And again, it's so different to anything I've ever experienced. There's a, an open fireplace. Pastor Phil's there. I'm here. Snow outside, and we've ordered a filet mignon. And Pastor Phil has ordered a bottle of wine. Now I've come from the AG where we took an affidavit that we wouldn't drink alcohol, and uh, and so it's a little bit awkward because I'm like I don't want to tell him he just ordered a bottle that I don't drink. And so I'm like, oh, Pastor Phil, like talk to me. What's the deal with red wine? <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, you know, it enhances the flavor of the food. You know, red red meat, red wine, white meat, white wine. I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, so anyway, so he doesn't even ask. He just pours. I'm like, oh, flip. So when you haven't drunk for like 
14 or 15 years, I get through, you know, the, the first glass and... And I just, like I wasn't, I wasn't in any way, there was no kind of loss of, but there was just this, there was, a, there was a, there was like, I just felt bold. Which can be dangerous because out of my mouth came something that should have stayed in here. So I said, oh, Pastor Phil, how do you not fall? And I thought he was going to respond. I'm trying to get the words back. How do you not fall? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm perfectly fine. Not tempted by anything. Holy. You know, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to say, what are you tempted in an area? You, what? what? You, know, you know. And I'll never forget. Pastor Bill goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real simple. Now, I'd never heard it was real simple. The last guy to fall in New Zealand. Uh, when we were youth pastors there, the last guy was this holiness guy. And he said, you know, that you haven't overcome sin till you've suffered. And he kind of quotes a scripture that, you know, you haven't suffered to, the, to bloodshed in dealing with. And uh, then, you know, he was with a secretary or something. And uh, like, oh, shoot. So Pastor goes, yeah, yeah, it's real simple, real simple. Three things. I'm like, I've never heard anyone say real simple. And then three things. Now I'm leaning in. He goes, number one, sleep with your own wife. And I thought, flap, my wife's hot. Yes, I can do that. He goes, number two, spend your own money. I'm like, that's brilliant. I don't have a whole lot of it, but I can spend my own money. Done. He goes, and number three, build buildings. I'm like, all right, hang on. Well, I get number one, get number two, but I don't get, he says, you're never in trouble. That when you don't have a vision in front of you where you're exercising your faith and you're consecrating, you're partnering with God. He says at the time of spring, the spring of the year, when kings were meant to go out to war to take territory, David stayed behind. Instead of going out to do battle, he stayed behind. And then he saw a woman swimming naked on her rooftop and David still took territory. It just wasn't his territory to take. He was meant to be out there taking territory from kings, but he took what belonged to one of his servants. And, got, and he said to me, you've got to keep building, always have a project in front of you, always have a project in Change my life, those three things. So how do, you, how do you not fall? Real simple. Sleep with your own spouse, spend your own money, and keep God projects in front of you. The last one, the last one, number, number seven, was I never learned the power of discipleship until I got to Pastor Phil. We used to do discipleship, but it was in a classroom. And discipleship was, I'll preach, you shut up and listen and take notes. How was it? How was discipleship? Yep, sorry, no questions. So Leanne and I, we, we, get, we get pulled into um, Pastor Greg French's D group. And D group stood for discipleship group. They had everything was cool at Oxford Falls. And uh, so we're like, man, we're in. And I'm, I was a little bit muffed between you and me. I was muffed that I didn't make the, the big one, like the first 12, like I was in the second one. So I thought, man, I'm just going to so, within six months, I'm going to be out of this one. I'm going to be in Phil's 12. Like you just watch. So for me, for me, D group was just Bible trivia. And I got a bit of a, uh, you know, I got a, I got a, uh, 
like I've got this brilliant memory. I can just memorize verses and, and you know, and I know where they are. So I'm like ready. Second Corinthians 5.17. 2 Chronicles 16.9. Like I'm just, you know, I'm ready to go. And uh, so I've got my study Bible. You know, we're walking to the front door of Greg's house and, and I look over and, uh, and there's, there's uh, Scott and Sue Dawson. And Scott's got two bottles of wine and she's carrying like this, this cheese and salami platter. And I'm like, where on earth are you? And we, we meet at the path. I'm like, where, what are you? And they're like, oh, Greg's D group. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Greg's D group. Hello, Greg's D group. And uh, like, yeah, yeah, you're in the right place. And then I look over here and there's, there's uh, Jeff and Tracy Berry. And they've got two bottles of wine and she's got this beautiful platter with, you know, cantaloupe and watermelon and strawberries and berries and pineapple. And I'm like, what on? So we get in there and then Pastor Greg French is like, Yerks, what's your poison, red or white? I'm like, I'm not drinking any alcohol, Pastor Greg. We're studying the Word of God. Leanne, the little rascal, she goes, I'll have white. I'm like, you effing. Yeah, where's the unity? So then we sit down. I'm still the holy man. I'm not touching any of this liquor. I'm waiting for Bible trivia because I want a sharp mind because I'm graduating from this puppy. I'm, I'm getting out of this party. I'm going to be in the top party. And so... So then Greg starts going, yeah, Jeff, you know, when, when you and Tracy have an, have an argument, how, how, do you, how do you resolve it? And I'm like, kind of a stupid, get on to the five. Well, you guys are eating and laughing and drinking wine, Bible trivia, discipleship, that's why we're here, hello. And so they start talking and I'm like, oh God, okay, yeah, that makes sense, brilliant. And then he turns and he goes, you know, what about you, Scott? How do you and Tracy? I don't ask, oh, you know. Anyway, 20 minutes later, let's go around. And then he goes, what about you, Jörg? I'm like, oh, we're meant to be, well, you know, we don't really know. I storm out, slam the door, give Leanne the silent treatment. He goes, oh, but that doesn't work. No, no, no. And, uh, but I'm, because I'm distracted, I'm waiting for, for discipleship group to start. I'm like, when's Bible trivia dis- slash disciple? And then I realize I am the biggest jack wagon this is discipleship group. But rather than Bible trivia and memory verses, this is about real life. How does this thing affect how you treat your spouse, how you resolve conflict? What kind of a husband? What kind of a father? I'm like, knucklehead. A coach instructs a father in parts. I want you to stand here. We're out of time. Just lift your hands to heaven. Lift your hands to heaven. You're in a good house. You're in a good house. Let those things settle. Let those things drop. Let those things fall. Father, we thank you, Lord God, today that we're in a house where we, where we honor. We're in a house, Father God, where there's benevolence and grace. That, that when our team member hurts, when our team member is at a loss, we're at a loss. And we want to be people that are generous. Father, we, we know that we don't need to force your hand to do anything. But the greatest thing we can do is slip into that slipstream where we are working with God. The Bible says that the disciples went out preaching, proclaiming the Word of God, the Holy Spirit working with them, confirming the Word with signs 
and wonders following. Father, we want that to be our testimony. Father, help us to understand that leadership really is example. That we can't expect from our people what we don't live ourselves. That if we want to see a shift in our people, in the people that we lead, then there's got to be a shift in our own hearts first. Father, help us to understand that if something's not shifting because of prayer, that it might be time to deploy the big guns and bring in prayer and fasting. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord God, that as we honor, we are also honored, elevated. The Bible says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Honorable means able to honor. There are a lot of people, they they always hit a ceiling. They never get what they want because they are not honorable. They're not able to honor for whatever reason. Something's broken on the inside of them. Help us to be people always of honor. Help us, Father God, to understand the three things. And Father, help us to, to submit to discipleship, to love discipleship real life. Not Bible verses and memory verses and classrooms, but real life, doing real life where the rubber hits the road. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, did you, did you hear something today? Come on, give God a praise if you got something today. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenchurch.com.